This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier. And joining us, as she always does on Fridays, it is wildcard weekend. So we have Nora here to break down everything in the NFL. Nora, it's great to see you. It is great to see you too, Tate. And you just saw something. Uh, you just saw greatness end. Uh, and let's start there because you just watched Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft. Uh, he officially has parted ways with the New England Patriots after 24 years of absolute dominance, excellence, whatever word you want to use. Um, so let's just start there. Like the reaction, the reverberation of the news that Bill Belichick will not be the head coach of the New England Patriots. Um, what were your feelings when you first heard the news? Well, so uh, not much what, you know, this morning at around seven o'clock, the news breaks that he's out. Mm hmm. And that's one thing, right? Because we sort of knew that this was coming. But then later today, when both Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft gave statements to the media, and then Robert Kraft came back later in the afternoon and answered questions, the thing that struck me is that they managed to make it about the last 24 years rather than the last three. Mm. And it was a lot more genial, celebratory positive than I expected it to be. And I honestly give them a lot of credit for it because I had assumed that this was going to kind of turn into a little bit of a knockdown drag out. I mean, there are big egos involved in a decision like this. Bill Belichick, regardless of the results that led to this and the Patriots not being a good team for the last three, four years, depending how you want to look at that COVID season, he's accomplished so much that I had wondered if he was really going to make make the crafts kind of kick him out of the building mm-hmm. and make it clear that it had been something that that got to that level. They did not do that. They described it as a mutual agreement to part ways. Everything that that both Belichick and Kraft spoke about today was about appreciation for what they'd accomplished together about uh, this long-lasting partnership that had reached its its end point but was something that meant a great deal to both of them. So it, it honestly, and like, I'm usually cold hearted and cynical. <laughs> and I believe that people are like in it for themselves. I was watching it going like, good for them. They, they rose above it. And I, I think it's ultimately for the best, just in terms of people in new England, getting to, to look at Bill Belichick, leaving that organization, the moment that happens as something that becomes a reflection and a moment of reflection on all the success that they've had as opposed to the more recent failures. And it kind of leaves a lasting image of Bill Belichick, the version that we knew before these last three years, right? Which I think is obviously something that they have worked out together. It seems like it's an amicable split. Like you said, Belichick reads a statement, Kraft answers some questions, but all in all, um, we've seen a lot of nasty divorces in sports. That's what we're used to. So the fact that we're at a situation where they can sit at the same table, they can reflect on the past, all the past success 
successes and say, hey, what a run, right? Everything ends, um, but this is officially like a, a capper on what an, uh, an amazing experience between the two of these, you know, one the organization and one the person. So um, that's, I'll, that's fascinating. I'll, take, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something that they made pretty clear is that it's a capper on that relationship in this era, but not a capper on Bill Belichick as NFL head coach because... Mm. Robert Kraft was asked a question about why he didn't try to pursue a trade with another team that might want Belichick to coach. And he said, you know, look, I get if people might criticize me for not extracting as much value as possible from Belichick, who is is an asset. But I and this is Robert Kraft speaking have run a number of organizations over the course of of a career and believe that if someone puts in enough time and and really earns it, then you want to do right by them. And and they wanted to go let him have the freedom to sort of control where he goes. But the way that Kraft spoke very clearly indicated that he expects Bill Belichick to be a head coach of an NFL team next season. Um, he, he said that he will be rooting for him except when he is coaching on the opposite sideline (laughs) against the Patriots. So, very clear impression that Belichick is not done. Uh, I know the Falcons have some reported interest teams like the Panthers also curious about potentially getting him in there. Um, the chargers, I think there's less out there to that end, but they just do make a lot of sense, uh, as a potential landing spot, obviously over the last couple of days, it has become incredibly clear that this is a coaching cycle that we've never experienced something like this before, just because it's Belichick, it's Harbaugh, it's probably not Pete Carroll, but maybe Pete Carroll. Um, if someone was interested, it, it, you know, it takes, it's Mike Vrabel. It takes a while to get to the Ben Johnsons who a couple months ago we were talking about as sort of, Oh, maybe the bell of the ball of this coaching cycle. And all of a sudden there are all of these icons who are just out there. And Bill Belichick is obviously first among them. And that's why the phrasing matters when you say part ways, because Bill Belichick does have a future coaching in the, in the NFL at some level. And uh, from my sources, Nora, I have been told that he wants to stay on the East coast and he wants to be close to Florida. So when I think about teams that are close to Florida, the Atlanta Falcons and the Carolina Panthers are closer to Florida than what they have right now with the New England Patriots. So uh, that's something for Belichick. On the flip side for the Patriots, um, and this will be the last thing, and then we'll get to the wild card games. Uh, what's next for the Patriots? We've heard Mayo is sort of the front runner. There's an expectation that he'll just be bumped up as the head coach. But what about the Mike Vrabel factor? Is there a factor where he comes into play and they say, let's go get him now that he's out there? You know, the sense I'm getting is is not that it's a done deal with Mayo, but everything we've seen reported indicates that this really is his to lose. He was the guy who, when he was getting head coaching interest last offseason, the Patriots kind of came over the top and not only gave him a contract extension, announced publicly (laughs) with a signed statement by Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, incredibly out of the ordinary for them, that Gerard Mayo was getting an extension. And the vibe of that was this is the heir apparent. I don't think that there's anything really to indicate that they've gone away from that. Uh, I think one thing that Robert Kraft said has yet to be worked out, but is sort of one of the top line things they have to make a decision on is what is the organizational structure going to be 
going forward because they've had this this structure since Kraft actually said it was since after the the third Super Bowl that the Patriots won where Belichick had full total personnel control the buck stopped with him and the coach and general manager was one person do they want to do that or do they want to hire a traditional general manager Kraft said that that was one of the top questions to answer but that he didn't have an answer to it right now so even if it is Mayo and they just slide him right into that role, there are some big structural questions about how this team is going to function that they have to figure out. I am a little skeptical that Vrabel becoming available is going to change that just because it seems like the writing is on the wall that they have their idea of where they're going and they're going to stick to that. Personally, I think that's a mistake. Mm. Um, I, I think Vrabel would be sort of a cheat code in the sense that he is someone who you can feel like you are continuing the Belichick era, but he has two things that Gerard Mayo does not. One of them is just a lot more experience, experience as a head coach, but a lot more experience coaching in the NFL in general. And then two is just a broader stretch of ideas and connections around the league because Gerard Mayo, for his sterling reputation, and let me stress that it is People love this guy so much, Tate. Yeah, he's beloved. It, like, he's been in business. He's been as an assistant coach, as a player. Like, everyone thinks he's just the, the best dude ever. So I don't want to undercount that. But I, I just, I have this little bit of trepidation about it because Bill Belichick taught him everything he knows. And if part of the diagnosis of what's gone wrong over the last three years is something to do not just with bad drafting, bad decision-making, ruined the relationship with Mac Jones, blah, 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 blah. But it's a philosophy that has become outdated. I just wonder if if it would be worth giving that an extra look, one, to see if Mayo's really ready for the job, but two, to consider if he doesn't represent enough of a step away from the Belichick era. Uh, and I think Mike Rabel would really allow them to kind of have it have their cake and eat it too, but heart of hearts and just reading the tea leaves, it it seems unlikely. Yeah. And it's crazy to think that we're going to live in a world where New England does not have Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. I know we've been, been away from Brady for quite some time now, but now it really hits with both those guys gone. So it'll be a new era, a new look uh, for the New England Patriots. So we'll talk about that. Um, you know, ad nauseum, I'm sure, as we move forward, as we try to figure it out. Um, we're going to take a quick break right now, Nora. I know we just uh, belabored the whole Bill Belichick, but we had to give him his due. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the wild card rounds and try to forecast what we're going to see um, this weekend in football. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Through the Ringer here with Nora. And uh, every week, if you've been watching us, I bring up the Ringer's power rankings and I make Nora make sense of what they've been, what they've decided to vote on and put out to the world. Luckily for you, Nora, there are no power rankings. It is officially over. We are in the playoffs. So uh, are you happy about that? Are you happy? I don't have to ask you about it anymore. Uh, no, Tate, it's become like I can set my clock to it. It's like soothing, so, right? In, in some ways, <laughs> it's very bittersweet, actually. 
Okay, well, that makes you feel better. Uh, let's talk about the AFC because we're going to start there. The AFC wild card. Um, we got the Browns, who are favored in this game, uh, minus two and a half, going to Houston to take on the rookie of the year, C.J. Stroud, and the Texans. Um, do we believe Joe Flacco can go win a playoff game on the road with this Cleveland Browns defense? Are you buying into the hype? Yeah, of course. I mean, now there's a difference between do I believe he can and do I believe he will. First yes. of all, Joe Flacco, 5-0. and oh. In his career in wild card games. Um, I actually I, I was not aware of that when I woke up this morning. And that was a little stat that raised my eyebrows just about how he approaches these types of big moments. Here's the thing about Flacco. It, it, he's he's playing like he's got nothing to lose and he's going to air it out. He's developed this connection with Amari Cooper in particular. That's just like they are hammering the deep ball. Now, there is always going to be a possibility that like three of those throws are going to be intercepted. But the thing about the Browns defense, which I believe is, is the best in the league is it enables them that that complimentary football is going to enable them to overcome some of that if they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's, it's a really interesting game just because in, in some senses, I think Stroud is in a little bit of a similar position and they couldn't be coming at it from more different angles, but he's so young I think there's a little bit of this, like, you don't know how much pressure you're under right at the beginning. It's just like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's just another game. And I think it's really going to be interesting to see who kind of plays looser because both quarterbacks have that identity where they're just like, ah, whatever. We'll throw (laughs) it up, chuck it up. Now, obviously, CJ Stroud threw five interceptions all the season. So in terms of eliminating the mistakes, he's been really successful in doing that. Flacco has been a little bit more up and down. Um, but the, the Browns defense has a way of erasing some of those mistakes that the Texans, they got a little something on the other side of the ball, but not quite as much. Yeah. And I'm hoping that the Texans fans show up. Uh, that's another wrinkle in this game that I think, you know, we talked about it, uh, you know, probably in the middle of the year about some of the home games for the Texans were getting taken over. That's been a conversation throughout the NFL. So hopefully they show up for the playoff game. Also, a lot of people are pointing that this is the coach of the year bowl. Um, there's a camp that believes in D'Amico Ryans. There's a camp that believes in Stefanski. Do we think that whoever wins this game gets to, to claim the right as the NFL coach of the year? Do we buy into that idea? Well, not so much because everybody had to submit their votes uh, earlier this oh, week. Oh, so it's over. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's over. over. <laughs> so I guess I guess this is just for fun. Well, maybe we can say that the, the votes were wrong uh, based on what actually happens and transpires in the game. This will be, be the through the ringer coach of the year bowl. Even though, yeah, honestly, my coach of the year is Sean McVay. But there, are, as we talked about, there are so many candidates and so many good candidates that this will definitely be a, a data point in what's been an incredibly close race. Yeah, we love a close race. Uh, the next game, we got the Dolphins taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs minus four in this game. A lot of people are down on the Dolphins after how they ended the season, but also a lot of people are down on the Chiefs with the way that they uh, have been playing for the past six or seven weeks. So a lot of people don't know what to do in this game. What do you expect to see? Do you think that we're going to see the Kansas City team that we saw last year during the playoffs that it eventually went on to win the Super Bowl? So, no. I, I don't think that this this Chiefs team has the same type of firepower. I think in particular, you know, Travis Kelsey just isn't, isn't quite the same guy he was Mm. a year ago. And I do think that makes a really big difference in this, this offense, which, you know, look, the chiefs never thought that sky Moore and Kadarius Tony were going to become this, you know, 
number one wide receiver caliber juggernaut players, but they felt that if they could build their offense around Kelsey, which they've become accustomed to doing, especially since the Tyree kill trade, then it was going to be enough. And I think the thing that really changed that, that is that Kelsey is still a really good player, but he's taken a step back physically and the results have not been completely the same. And he's dealt with some, some health issues over the course of the season. I think he's pretty healthy now. So I think they have enough to beat this Dolphins team that is really injured and also really struggles in cold weather. Uh, Mm. Tua has never won a start when it's been below 40 degrees. Yeah, 0 and 10, Which is just like, I got to be honest, that's kind of (laughs) weak. Like. Great point. 40 degrees? <laughs> yeah. Man, like, I get it. I get it if it's 15. You're in New I get York, it too, so like... you can say this. I'm in L.A. I can't say anything about the weather. I just okay, have to but, let it be. But, but you're a good, actually, like, you're a good test case for this, Tate. Mm-hmm. Are you, you step outside and it's 38 degrees. Are you, like, freaking out about it? Tell no, me the truth. I... You're a North Carolina boy. You live in L.A. Like, talk to me. I uh, I went to Minnesota during a polar vortex and I walked outside. It was negative 15 degrees and I've never been that cold in my entire life. And that is that sets the the line of where like you can actually freak out. But when it's 40 degrees, you could go play golf. You know what I mean? Like it's, I mean, free, it's possible. That's the, I'll <laughs> drop this in a second. I get it. Like truly not even negative 15. I'm not asking for for mm-hmm. someone to not be affected not only when it's negative 15, but when it's five that's degrees. That's why they play indoors. Right. That's freaking cold. Of course, like, <laughs> I, I don't want to go outside when it's five degrees. I've lived my entire life in the Northeast. I grew up in New Hampshire. Like, I know cold weather. If it's five degrees, it sucks to go outside. It should suck for anybody. Like, don't be doing 40, man. Like, you got to figure it out. Um. So anyway, I, I think just the injuries and... Uh, the cold are probably going to be too much for the Dolphins to overcome. So I like the Chiefs in this game, but I don't believe that their offense has enough to make a Super Bowl run like they did last year. And I do feel like they're just better when, you know, they're in the heat and they're able to kind of play this, you know, kind of up-tempo style. When you're in the cold weather, it's hard to get guys to get up off the ground. I mean, there's all these little things that uh, that play into the Miami offense. Well, and that's the thing against this, this Kansas City team is that I think if the Dolphins are going to have any sort of shot, they have to get up quickly because they have to force these Chiefs to rely on their passing game, which is so crazy that I'm saying that's a bad thing for Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. <laughs> but this Chiefs team is better when they can run the ball and when they can can utilize their running backs in the offense as much as possible. And these Dolphins, for all of the ways in which I think Steve Spagnuolo's defense is a really, really hard test for Tua, they still have that team speed. They still have that score from anywhere potential. So there's a world in which they come out and they get up really quickly and then Kansas City is in a in a bad game script. The problem is you better be ready on your opening drive. You better not need three drives to warm up because then mm-hmm. the game's going to be just over. So <laughs> I am I'm really worried about the weather. Yeah, the weather is going to be a big factor in that game. Another uh, weather game that we'll you know probably have to deal with. Steelers going to Buffalo. Uh, Bills minus ten in this game. Uh, Vegas believes in the Buffalo Bills again. Do you, Nora, believe that the Buffalo Bills will handle business in this game and get an easy win at home? So I, 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 I'm picking the Bills. I believe in the Bills. I am, however, shocked that the that the line is minus ten, particularly because again of the weather. It is going mm-hmm. to be. Uh, 
25 mile an hour winds, gusts up to 35, single digit temperatures, potential snow showers, just a just not a nice day in Buffalo. And the Bills are accustomed to that. They're they're good at playing in the elements. They're good at dealing with the weather. However, at a certain point, and when we're talking about 25 to 35 mile an hour winds, not 10 to 15, at a certain point, it doesn't really matter that you have a big, strong-armed quarterback who can put the velocity on the ball to rifle it through the wind a little bit. That weather starts to favor the team that is less reliant on moving the ball through the air. and. That's the Steelers. That's the Steelers mm. with a good, a really good defense, uh, even if they're without TJ Watt, and an offense that doesn't want to pass the ball to begin with. I mean, Najee Harris could get 30 carries in this game. And I do think that it could really turn this into a slop fest, which the Bills can still win, but it doesn't favor them in anywhere near the way that I th- think they should be if this game were being played indoors or just on a nice day. So yeah. minus 10 really surprises me, even though I'm I'm picking the Bills. Yeah, I think Mike Tomlin is lick, licking his chops uh, at that line and at that opportunity in that game. So I, I would be very uh, hesitant to, to fully buy into the Bills, especially we've seen um, two different teams at times. Uh, you know, we always say a tale of two halves. That's kind of the season in a nutshell for the Buffalo Bills. So uh, let's flip to the NFC and quickly run through these games. We got Packers, Cowboys, Cowboys uh, minus seven and a half in this game. Mike McCarthy game going up against the Packers. We got Jordan Love, uh, first playoff appearance as a starter. What do you expect to see in this one? And do we think Mike McCarthy will be the star of this game uh, for, for better or for worse? Honestly, I don't. I I, okay, I, I love that's the probably McCarthy. good news for Mike McCarthy. <laughs> yeah, I love the McCarthy intrigue and and all the characters and the Jerry Jones of it all. I think is really fun to think about. I, I do think that. I think that Dallas is a more well-rounded team. I think in particular, the Packers defensively just play such a soft style, that Joe Barry defense, that I suppose I can put it this way. If Dallas can't move the ball on them, I mean, the Carolina Panthers scored 30 points on this defense. Like, Mm -hmm. we should not be talking about Mike McCarthy after this game. And if we are, then he deserves everything that's coming to him. But I, I think they will be able to score points on Green Bay I wouldn't count out Jordan Love to be able to keep up in that type of game, but I do think that Dallas ultimately is the more balanced team and they'll be able to move the ball. The last game, uh, we're going to talk about the Monday night game on Monday night with Cousin Sal after that one wraps, so I'm going to leave that. But last game I want to hit here, Rams, Lions. Everyone is talking about this is the Matthew Stafford game. I think this is the Jared Goff game. Uh, Jared Goff was the number one pick. He was supposed to be the promised, you know, California quarterback, take him to the promised land. Uh, he falls short. They make a trade. Then the guy that comes and takes his job does take them to the promised land and delivers the goods. Um, so Jared Goff, I feel like has a lot to prove a home game. The Detroit fans are going to be there. What do you expect to see here? Uh, Lions minus three in this one. Do we think Jared Goff can get the best of his old team? Uh, I don't know. I really, <laughs> I think that this, Sounds like Rams. you think it's the Matthew Stafford game, uh, which is I what really most people seem do. to think. <laughs> well, no, I know. I think it's more of a sort of a referendum on Jared Goff, but I, I like the Rams in this game. Mm-hmm. I, I think that defense is really underrated just because they're young and and it took a little bit into the season for them to be able to, to come on. But again, the game script here really matters because I do think that these Rams... That offense, as long as they've got their their core parts healthy, which at this point in the season they do, 
I think that Stafford and McVay's offense with Cup, with Puka, like they can put on some fireworks. And the Lions need to be in a situation offensively where they can stay balanced, where they can stay relying on their offensive line, on their run game, get into some of the play action stuff that Goff likes, take advantage of the way that defenses react when they are running the ball really well. But if they get behind, it's harder and harder to do that. And a defense in LA that's found some really good young parts, like Kobe Turner's had an incredible rookie season. Mm -hmm. If they start pinning their ears back and start getting pressure on Goff, Goff turns into into one of the worst quarterbacks in football when he is pressured. And the Lions are very good at avoiding that. But if, if the Rams are able to get to him that way, then it's pretty close to game over. So I, I have some pretty serious worries about Detroit in this game. And if they do get upset, it, it's an interesting conundrum just in terms of what it means for Goff as the future there. Yeah, we're going to have some conversations about if Ben Johnson can get that $15 million a year that he's been asking for on the open market if they lose this game. So uh, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have some uh, some fun stories about hirings and firings all around the league and uh, see if Nora can debunk what's going on uh, in the NFL. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. We have Nora here. And uh, Nora, there is a lot of uh, reaching out to different teams and asking if you have um, the availability to uh, to bring in someone and interview them and see if they could potentially be your future head coach. We have a, a funny one here. Jamie Fowler reported this. Uh, the Panthers have blocked their defensive coordinator from being able to interview for the head coaching job of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, this is a very petty thing to do. David Tepper is the king of petty in the NFL right now. Do we think this came all the way from the top? And uh, what are your thoughts about blocking guys from interviewing for head coaching jobs? Like, is that a good thing to see? Or is that something that's a red flag? I mean, look, it's it's allowed. And it's only allowed in the situation where the it, it can't you can't block a path to advancement. So it is within the letter of the law. Now, I do think, we just talked about that that quote that Robert Kraft gave about not trading Belichick, right? And I think there's probably a little more to that. It's just hard to trade a coach in a bunch of other ways. But if someone gives you gives you their time and their hard work, it's nice to foster a, a spirit of we will allow you to thrive and earn other opportunities if if that's what happens. So it's a little. Yes, there's a little pettiness there. I do think it probably came from Tepper just because who else works there anymore? <laughs> right. um, but here's here's what I will will throw to you just in terms of the coaching search that's going on in Carolina. Mm. Um, they're using this uh, consultancy firm, Sportsology, which happens when teams pursue uh, candidates to fill coaching roles, GMing roles. And Carolina has an open GM role, has an open head coach role. And the list of candidates they have, I mean, it is so long, Tate. They're interested in just like every single person who <laughs> might possibly be in a coaching or or general managering conversation. 
And so here's 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 what I'm debunking, or here's my little theory of <laughs> yeah, the week. Yeah, please. Billable hours, baby. I mean, the five <laughs> folks at Sportsology yeah, right. are just racking them up. They're like, we, we like, looked up Tepper's net worth and we're going to get it. We're going to milk this for everything we got. Yeah, We're going to milk this for all <laughs> it's got. We are going to conduct 15 interviews. Mm-hmm. We're going to do 10 more on the GM side. Um, make that money, Sportsology. That's that's what I think. Yeah, I feel like everyone wants the Panthers to go young and Ben Johnson is the name that people continue to throw out, even though the number uh, that was reported would be astronomical. But we already kind of debunked that anyway. I like making fun of it, though. Um, I say you go with the old guys. You bring in Pete Carroll, you bring in Bill Belichick, and you make all of them go back through the process uh, of interviewing and like making them uncomfortable and making them project what they're going to do for the next three to five years. And then we pick the the winner. You know what I mean? The biggest winner that we that wants it. to come to Carolina. And uh, if you get Belichick back, hey, maybe we bring Cam back in the building and we and we reunite those guys down in Carolina. Bill Belichick loves him some Cam Newton. Me too. Um, so, so we'll see. <laughs> Luke Keekley's in the building. Think, look, like, I, I think he would love all, that. <laughs> in all seriousness, you said that you think Belichick wants to be close to Florida. Yeah. Um, and and what I think he wants is a team that where he can have the same type of role and and where there's an open GM spot. The one issue with Atlanta, which is kind of the other team that fits that bill. Terry Fontenot is, is the GM there. Mm-hmm. And now there's probably some owners that would be obsessive enough about getting Belichick that they would sort of rewrite their org chart, but it doesn't seem like the Falcons fit into that. So Carolina is, is definitely one to keep an eye on just because both roles are open. So Belichick could slot right in there and, uh, yeah, maybe he'll bring Cam with him. Yeah. And Nora, what division did Tom Brady go to and dominate and win a Super Bowl in his first year? The NFC South. Um, if there's anything that Bill Belichick has to prove, he can prove it in the NFC South, just as Tom Brady did. So um, I'm down for the play. I think it makes a lot of sense. And uh, Bill Belichick will take you in Charlotte. I, I'm I'm starting the campaign now. We want Belichick. And uh, and that, that's where we're going to leave it. And uh, Bryce Young, by the way, Nick Saban guy. Uh, Bill Belichick's got some right? connective tissue there. He loves Nick Saban. They work together in Cleveland. Um, I'm seeing all the writing on the wall, Nora. So uh I'm hoping it can it can actually happen. Uh, where can we find all your work so people can stay tuned in on what's happening in the NFL world and beyond? Dual Threat on the Ringer NFL Show feed, every single album, and TheRinger.com. Oh, the best. Nora, you're the best. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Coming up, we got Waz joining us, and we're going to talk some NBA. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. We're here with Waz in studio in Los Angeles, and uh, we're talking NBA, and I got a headline for you. Let's start here. Uh, This is from Shams. This was on FanDuel TV earlier. Shout out to the running back team. This is a quote for you, Waz. Quote, everyone but Steph Curry on the Warriors roster is available at the NBA trade deadline. Wait, what? That's real? How do you feel about that? I think without any context, if you've just watched the Golden State Warriors play this year, you know that Steph Curry's been the only one worth for damn the entire season. So, <laughs> right. like, if you watch them play with no context, you this would seem like a no-brainer, except for the fact that Steph has championed guys like Draymond and Klay Thompson 
guys who were part of the original group that won that first championship, went to the championship in 2016, of course, set the record for wins. Like, obviously, the KD era. Like, these guys have been a mainstay. And Steph has absolutely championed them within the organization. Like, get Draymond's deal done. Make sure Clay has his deal. Make sure everybody's happy. These are the foundational pieces. So to hear that those guys are now on the table, which... Obviously, that means that they have sign-off from Steph for that to be the case. That's major news. Mm, let's talk about Draymond because you and I were talking before we got on the air about his podcast. Yeah. He opened up to the world. Uh, <laughs> he talked about his conversations with Adam Silver, talked about Steve Kerr coming to his man cave, and like they were like yeah. crying with each other. Yeah. There's a lot of emotions and drama. It felt like Days of Our Lives or something, yeah. um, but the Warriors edition. Where does Draymond stand right now? And it does sound like he might be available for a trade, which is shocking. So. Here's the thing about Draymond is that he had the podcast for 45 minutes about why it is he can't play without punching people in the face, <laughs> kicking people in the nuts. It's his game. Putting people in headlocks. <laughs> like It took him 45 minutes to explain right. why that is, right? Yeah. Which is all you need to know about It's like telling guy. Jordan not to have a fadeaway post-95. <laughs> so that's all you need to know about the guy. And it's worn people thin. Even the relationship with Steve has been touch and go from the start. They haven't always got along, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so Steph has been his guy, though. Um, he's always been in the good graces of Steph Curry, who's obviously the most important person in the history of that franchise. And so, yeah, I, like the fact that his his act has worn even Steph then, I think, again, that's newsworthy because that has not been the case in the past. Talking about the future of the league, Victor Wimanyama, uh, mm -hmm. he just had his first triple-double and he did it in 21 minutes. Again, it was against the Pistons. Um, not they're still an NBA team. They're still an NBA, yeah, they're still in the league. Um, <laughs> but uh, what are your thoughts on Wimby in his rookie year? I mean, I know there's been some controversy. He had a losing streak, but it does feel like he's figuring things out right now. I think he's had a tremendous start to his career. I don't think there's any other way to put it. I mean, even my expectations, my expectations admittedly were more tempered than most. Like, I didn't think he was the best prospect since Ty Cobb, like other people did. Some but, people thought he might pull a Magic Johnson and, like, go win the championship. Right, right, right. Did, uh, right. Dude, I remember, <laughs> you know, we're making our picks, slotting people in different tiers before the season started on our show, Ringer NBA show. Um, shout out top 10 show yeah uh, top 10 yeah. Sports. you better you, you know it yeah I got you <laughs> um, and uh, shouts to Rob and, and Justin and I was like yeah I think they're gonna be the second worst team in the NBA they were the worst team in the league they added a rookie they're still gonna be bad if you could have seen my Twitter mentions by just <laughs> saying a bad team don't say that yeah who adds a rookie as good as this rookie might be is not going to be good <laughs> right. that's not a thing so I'm not surprised that they haven't had team success, but individually, you can't say that he is well on his way to becoming a really good, if not all-time great level of player. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I've been blown away by the season he's having so far. When it gets to a position where he can guard Jokic or an Embiid yeah. um, and also guard Giannis, right. I mean, that's going to be scary. And also switch out onto guards on the perimeter, right. move his feet, affect jump shots. Like, guys are scared to take step-back jump shots because of his wingspan and, you know, how dangerous he is as a shot blocker, So even on the perimeter. So, like, that, that's just a weapon we've never seen before. So, of course, it's really exciting.
Shout out to Hassan Whiteside. He was the first guy kind of championing the idea of getting triple doubles with blocks. Uh, <laughs> they do with blocks, though. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I feel like Wimbenyama is the next one in that line. Uh, I want to talk about the NBA draft. We're you talking might about... be the first person in the history of life to compare Wimby to Hassan hey, Whiteside. I'll find a way. Congratulations shout out to that. Marshall. Uh, shout out to my guy, Thundering Herd. He played great there. Um, and also Hassan Whiteside. Great story. His mom used to play basketball with Jordan back in the day. Wow. Uh, yeah, so he's he's got some great connections. So not a shade to women, Yama. Just respect to uh, our guy, Hassan Whiteside. I want to talk about the draft. Uh, it's moving to Brooklyn. It's apparently going to expand to a two-day event uh, for each round. First round one day, second round the second day. You get the you get the idea. Do you like this idea? Do you love this idea? Do you hate this idea? I like the idea. I think the NBA, honestly, is really good at putting on an event. Mm. Um, anybody who's ever been to Summer League, anybody who's ever been to All-Star Weekend, even Vegas in-season tournament was their first year ever. So... It's not as developed as it's going to be. But for the first year, it went off without a hitch and it was well done. So I believe in the NBA's ability to put on an event, do it well, and make it compelling and engaging for obviously the players, but also the fans who want to be a part of the excitement of these new crop, this new class of players who ultimately will go on to be the future of the league. So, I mean, if you look at, the again, the NBA's track record of putting on NBA events, yeah. nobody does it better. Is this a Bronny James move? Like, is this just so Bronny will be on TV? That's what a lot of people are speculating. I mean, if Bronny could get his three-point percentage over the 20s, maybe we can make this a Bronny James thing. Although his dad seems to think that he could play, he said he could play right now. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was sending a message doubtful. to Polinka. Yeah. yeah, doubtful. But, you know, it's not my kid. Um, yeah, I just, I just think... The NBA is constantly trying to find ways to make themselves more relevant in the culture. And this is just another way to do it. New York City um, in the summertime. It only makes sense. Brooklyn being, you know, a cultural hub, even in New by New York standards, it's like literally the cultural hub of the city. So it makes sense that they would do that. One last thing, talking about culturally relevant things in the NBA. They have uh, decided to make a docu-series like similar to quarterback. And we got a starting five that they're going to have. They're going to have LeBron James, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Anthony Edwards and Demontis Sabonis. Do you like that starting five of guys? I like I like it mainly because of Ant. Um, he is the most media, the least, excuse me, media polished of all the guys you just mentioned. This guy mm. is unpredictable in the kinds of things he will say and from do. the South. I mean, we, we, we they sometimes we don't know what's, what's close <laughs> sometimes y'all pretend <laughs> not to know, but y'all be knowing. <laughs> y'all not fooling me with that. But no, I, he's just a young, exciting player. Obviously, his game is electric, right. but also as a personality, he just seems like a genuine, magnetic you know, charismatic figure. And you talk to people around the Timberwolves and like people want to be around Anthony Edwards. He has that type of pull and presence. So I think they were genius for getting him to be on the show. And I think it's smart for the NBA to do this. If you've, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the recent popularity of stuff like F1, mm -hmm. which I would attribute a lot of it, especially the interest in the States, right. to people watching that Netflix show. Mm -hmm. And I think if the- Same with the golf and the PGA Tour. Of course. Right. And I think if the NBA leans into giving people a show 
letting them understand that the NBA is a circus. It's very compelling, mm -hmm. very entertaining and interesting characters. I think they could do well for themselves. And honestly, there is no bigger platform for media content right now than Netflix. Yeah. Honestly. And so, like, the fact that they're partnering with Netflix on this, I think is very savvy and smart on their part. And we're probably going to get some Bronny James uh, on the <laughs> show as well. So that's... Shout out to my man Bryce, who's yeah. actually, like, six foot seven and is probably definitely going to the NBA because of Is he actually six foot seven? He's I, close, okay, though. Okay. He's about, like, All six, right. four, six, five already. Right. I think he's going to round out at, like, six, seven and, like, be a real forward size. I like the Heat's idea. Let's just get Bronny James in here and then we get LeBron back and we run it back. I would yeah. love to see LeBron back in Miami. <laughs> that's, that's what the I would tell you right now, outside of Mike's comeback mm -hmm. from 95 to 1998, my favorite moment in NBA history was LeBron in that heat run. Just mm -hmm. the juice was just unexplainable, right? Like people in freaking Utah and Memphis just like throwing stuff at these guys as if like that's a real rivalry. It's yeah. not. They were just, they just hated the heat. And so that that level of juice, I would love to see that back. It'd be great. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the juice in LA and it's about the Clippers and not the Lakers. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Through the Ringer here with Waz. And uh, everybody wants to talk about the Lakers, what they're going to do with the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. We saw them last year. Kind what they're going to do with their coach. Yeah, right. Heard it, those rumblings. Yeah, there's a lot of rumblings, a lot of rumors. But there's also some good rumblings mm -hmm. uh, coming out of Clipper territory. Mm -hmm. And Kawhi Leonard just signed an extension with the Clippers. Three years, $153 million. Um, Why did he do that now uh, if you were trying to uh, prognosticate why he would do it at this point in time? And how do you feel about the Clippers as a whole? I think the reason why it didn't happen over the summer is because he's missed a lot of time, mm -hmm. right? And so we're seeing Kawhi do things we haven't seen him do since like 2018, like playing back-to-backs and just playing all the time, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's I actually think, shocking. Like, if you watch the Clippers, you're like, oh, wow, they all play. It's not so shocking anymore, is it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so when $150 million is on the line, like right. he, you know, he, he decided to take a different approach. And I think it makes sense for both parties. Obviously, Kawhi locks in security because, again, a guy that's missed that much time with a degenerative knee situation, it makes sense to lock in that money. And the Clippers... Let's face it, they're pot committed to this group. There is no teardown forthcoming that would make any sense, mm. right? And, of course, they're moving into their shiny new building in Inglewood. I don't know if you've seen the mock-ups and, like, some of the specs of this thing. It's it's a freaking palace yeah. of basketball. And so they can't come into that new arena and be like, Brandon Boston, <laughs> here you go, roll out the balls. Like, that's just not feasible, right? And so we know... Kawhi's coming back. Obviously, he's locked in. Paul George will be back. James Harden is also going to get paid because newsflash, no matter what Daryl Morey tells y'all, when people trade for a guy who's going into free agency, they tend to have a deal already done. Right. Okay. Or at least it's been communicated it's that been we, communicated. you're going to re-sign with us. Yes. Right. And we're willing to give you what you think you want. And that's like, why you get stories when Siakam says he doesn't want to re-sign with the Kings. It's, it's like it's already talked I got, about. Yeah. There's no reason to trade for me. Right. I have other I'm good. options. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. OG Ananobi, you hear the stories. Oh, the Knicks are going to, you know, they're going to talk. <laughs> that deal is done, guys. Right. OG's not leaving the Knicks in the summer. Mm -hmm. They traded for him with the full knowledge of like, no, 
He's coming back at a number that we've we're already talked numbers. We've yeah. already done this, we're good. right? And so they're locked in. You know, again, it's a veteran group, and they're showing you that they can get some results with this group. Um, they're looking as good as anybody outside of Denver, of course, who's a bit on cruise control a little bit. But like, I don't see how outside of the champs, you don't like the Clippers' chances as much as anybody else. Yeah, Clippers have won twenty to twenty six since they traded for Harden. Uh, they did lose to the Lakers earlier this week. Um, right now they're plus 1,200 to win the NBA Finals. Is that a good bet? I mean, they also have a pick-and-roll game again, by the way. As much as we talk about, you know, PG and yeah. Kawhi on the wing, they now have James Harden getting Zubach involved. I mean, James Harden is, say what you will about, you know, some of his tactics when he's no longer happy with his employer. But he, get, he gets what he wants. I mean, if anything, you got to respect his tactics. Sure, <laughs> but as far as pick-and-roll operation and creation – He's one of the best we've ever seen at it, mm-hmm. and he still is. And so I'm not surprised that he's developed a great chemistry with Zub. I'm not surprised that he has, you know, jump-started this offense in a way that they've never had. They've never had... Look, God bless Russ. He gets assists. He's not a genuine playmaker type the way that Harden is. This is... this. We're talking about some of the best court vision the game has ever seen. And so that it's paying dividends for the Clippers. We shouldn't be surprised. Shout out to Russell Westbrook, though, because uh, he really did a great job of uh, kind of becoming the leader of that team at some level and also being able to step aside and say, James Harden, you can start. I'll come Tate, off the bench. Tate, I uh, I have to commit the guy. I'm make, a Russ guy, though. I Tate, like he's, he's making the minimum. Yeah. The guy making the minimum should come off the bench. That's true. That's how it works, typically. <laughs> just, 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 like, you, 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 just, you got that He knew what it meant summer. when they made the trade. Of yeah. course. He was like, okay, course. well, I guess right. James is the guy. And, and I love Ty Lue for that. The fact is, like, I know you guys are all going to want to play. You're going to want to see it happen. So I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to watch it fail. We're all going to watch it together. This is a failure. This <laughs> right. doesn't work. Right. Now let's get just back so to it's it. not in your mind yeah, that yeah, it yeah, could yeah. work. Just, right. We're just going to get the idea that this right. could work out of your mind immediately. So as soon as the Harden trade happens, everybody's starting. The big four is starting at the same time. And it didn't work. And they switched directions. And they've taken, taken off since. And so to me, that's the sign of a great coach and a great leader to be like, all right, guys, I disagree with you. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to actually fail. It's almost like a kid has to touch the stove to mm-hmm. realize that fire is hot. Yeah, it's hot. That's what happened to uh, the Clippers in that original start. Well, the like, NBA is synonymous with tampering. We know that. Everybody mm-hmm. likes to talk to each other. Everybody's trying to figure out the next is move. It- Tampering, though? Whatever. I mean, that's the term that we use, sure. but we know what it is. LeBron invites Ty Lue to his birthday party. Sure. Uh, there's all people reading into what's happening there. <laughs> Are we worried that Ty Lue is getting recruited to the other L.A. team in the, in the midst of a season where they could win the championship? I mean... That would be, so, be top-tier tampering. So, That'd be genius. So, I fancy myself a bit of a LeBron expert. Yeah. Um, I've been a LeBron That's why I'm asking watcher you. I need, I need to know. Since 2002. <laughs> I think this is just more of LeBron messaging. You know, um, if you noticed the other day, he went on this whole diatribe about it. how great Ty Lue is. Yeah, he said, that's T. Lue's team. That's T. Lue's team. <laughs> right. Um... <laughs> I don't know if you saw on Twitter, Coach Spo got the biggest coaching contract in the history of the sport, and he he tweeted, worth every cent. (laughs) So that's a Coach Spo endorsement. You notice he's praising every coach he's ever I'm ready for the Mike Brown tweet. I'm waiting for the David Black tweet from Israel. Like, I'm waiting for all of it. He's like, running great sets out there. (laughs) So you notice he's just praising every coach he's ever shook shake hands with right except for his own i find that to be quite curious don't yeah. you 
I find it uh, hilarious, and uh, I do like LeBron's tactics uh, in that sense because he it's does get the conversation going, and it's yeah. consistent. <laughs> yeah, right. He's been Nothing consistent new. with this passive aggressive nonsense. Frank Vogel, get so, out of here yeah. for so long. It's right. been so consistent, right? <laughs> um, you know, I, people will remember his first year in the second Cleveland stint. He took a week and a half off to go to Miami. Right. He was just dissatisfied. He's telling people to stop fitting out on Twitter. <laughs> like, this is what he does. I think LeBron, honestly... And that was about Kevin Love. I mean, yeah, yeah not great. the besties. Yeah, right. Um, I think LeBron, honestly, doesn't feel right if there's not a little bit of tension and friction and drama. Right. So he likes to do these little things to shake things up. Um, so I'm not surprised by any of this stuff. But T. Lewis, he's going to be with the Clippers. I think he wants to have some success with them because he's had success everywhere he's gone and every old NBA head that you talk to they're like they're one thing they always say is you need to be uncomfortable comfortable in uncomfortable situations yes. right that's how you succeed in the NBA and sometimes when you have to create those uncomfortable situations it gets people to get to that next gear which of I course. think that is the gamesmanship going on behind holding the people accountable is never comfortable mm -hmm. right um and you know some people would say it's pretty convenient for LeBron nobody ever has he never has to hold himself accountable for anything but you know four championships five MVPs <laughs> right. you face know, of the league whatever right? yeah. you, he's you pulling get, the card get, yeah. um, special treatment yeah and that's how it goes Waz plug all your stuff where can we find all your amazing work? of course we're your NBA show uh group chat with myself Justin Verry and Rob Mahoney um that's every single Wednesday and Sunday um, and yeah just the ringer.com you never know where I might pop up over yeah there. I love it appreciate you Oz uh, appreciate everybody tuning in this has been Through the Ringer we'll be back on Tuesday morning with Cousin Sal breaking down all things that happen on Wild Card Weekend we'll see you then